Hello, Voices of Wrestling listener. Dave Ryan here. Have you ever wondered to yourself, how many hidden gems are hidden away inside the last years of World Championship Wrestling? Have you ever asked yourself how many tenuous gags can be made about the name Mike Enos? And have you ever thought about what it sounds like for two Irishmen to interpret a very chaotic company through its B-show? The answers to all this and more are just a click away. Check out Days of Thunder every second Thursday on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voice Wrestling Podcasting Network. And as you can tell, I am back as I just spent some time at the Senior Bowl and um, my co-host Fred Moreland held down the ship last week. But Fred, I have a question for you. Will Hook pay for his crimes? What specific crimes? Like the, oh, the Stokely oh, stuff? Yeah. So um, Stokely tweeted out a picture of uh, his left arm in a cast. Oh, God. And it... Hook will pay for his crimes. It was confirmed that there was a forearm fracture which required a cast. Oh, I am just brought. And the best line, I rolled dice with my left hand, so I'm fucked. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> he, he goes on, please don't make me sue this company, Tony Khan. You know that portrait of your father that's hanging in your office? Well, once I own this company, I'm replacing it with a big-ass photo of James Brown. <laughs> yep, every time you see the godfather of soul sweating in a drug-fueled rage at the Apollo, you're going to think of me. Sounds pretty miserable, bro. Do the right thing. Punish this little bastard hook and write me a fat check. And then right below it. <laughs> by the way, here's a photo of me with my best friend, Al Sharpton. It means absolutely nothing, by the way. Stokely is a god. This Stokely's is, so good on Twitter. Listen, I wish that listen, he was able Twitter to show it a little sucks. more on AEW, but yeah, Twitter sucks, but it got me a career in sports media and it gives us beautiful shit like Stokely Hathaway. I, I will deal with all the crap from Twitter just for this beautiful, beautiful stuff. Um, all time great Stokely Hathaway. Yeah, that was. Uh, I I had not been on Twitter today. I was only aware of uh, the Eddie Kingston stuff, where he just went off. But yeah, uh, that's good tweeting. No, it's, is is Stokely the best uh, AW person at Twitter? Let's start with that discussion. Well, we should really dive into that discussion because it's Eddie Kingston ruining his AEW career with Twitter right now. He is going off about MJF based and Eddie Kingston his. His real life persona really blends with his character because he's just a I don't give any fucks kind of guy. And he's going to tell you exactly what he thinks. And he was going off on MJF. Um, we, we had to see this guy three times in an hour and then uh, just going on and off about that. And also the fact that he thought that there was big Katie Vick energy from his promo, um, which I we'll get to that too. Yeah, I, I don't agree with that, but uh, like there's links there. And then like it, it's just Eddie Kingston. He's like, fuck Ortiz, fuck House of Black. And, you know, 
it's Eddie being Eddie. What? What? what I, I gotta think want? he's just working with that stuff. Um, but you know, Eddie's also top. He's gotta be like top five AEW Twitter. Uh, Nyla Rose is uh, really good at Twitter. Oh, uh, Nyla Rose is hilarious. Yeah, I wish she could show that more on AEW TV too. But every time she's been featured, it's been like, oh, I'm I'm a mean monster, and I don't think that fits her. No, well, the tough part is with Nyla Rose is as a worker, she's average at best. Yeah, and I think she's it, also lost a step since 2019 when I was actually pretty high on her as like the the hoss of the women's division. She looked like she could be like a focal point of the women's division for a while, especially as you continue to build that roster up with talent. Yeah, but it just it just hasn't worked out, and it's unfortunate. But yeah, I I think Stokely Hathaway has to be my number one on Twitter as far as anybody from AEW. Oh, except uh, the God the God poster himself, Tony Khan. Khan oh, for that. Tony Khan. Um, I, I don't know. I can't. He's, there's just not enough consistency. It's usually too much plugging his stuff, but when he like, yeah, goes but off, I, I, I'm sorry. With, with the Vince McMahon stuff, why is everybody being so nice to me? Oh, here's Dynamite tonight. Like It's just never-ending. I'm going to post everything on a message board energy, and it works. It's hilarious. It's timely, and he he just knows what to say at the right time. Oh man, I got it, it's tough because like never never cheer for uh, uh, never cheer for billionaires, but also he's a very funny billionaire. He gives me good wrestling. I apologize for the uh, sounds of the background. We are in the middle of a giant windstorm, so Ooh. like that is literally the wind blowing against my house. Well, you're safe. That's really what matters. Let, let's yeah. continue to talk about AEW because there's quite a bit that we need to talk about. And we're going to talk about why I was gone um, as well. But let's, well, I think f- the first thing we need to talk about, Fred, is house shows. Um, AEW announced that they're going to start doing house shows. And it's, it feels like this is going to be one off attractions rather than doing loops. And I think that's where people just need to get their head out of the gutter. <laughs> This is not AEW. Hell, New Japan does house shows. We just don't ever talk about it because they're in rinky-dink towns in Japan. Just They give them like a show or two a year and yada yada, bing bang. It's it's yeah. no big deal. But this feels like it's a true attraction. And I'm going to pull, pull it up. They are really trying to build it up. And I think it's... I think it's cool. Um that they're going to start trying to do some house shows because I think it gives, um, gives people opportunities to wrestle and it gives other markets the ability to have AEW shows. And I don't think it's going to overextend the wrestlers because it's, they have one right now. They're calling it their house rules tour and it's going to be in Troy, Ohio on Saturday, March 18th. The gra- um, the graphic has John Moxley as the focal point with Claudio Castagnoli Dr. Britt Baker, Orange Cassidy, and Darby Allen. So you're you're talking about giving a quality card to people, and obviously you're going to have some of it um, kind of dumbed down a little bit. You're not going to have as much pyro. You're not going to have as much fanfare, but you're still going to be getting a quality in-ring wrestling product, and I think that's going to be huge. Um, Joe Lanzo opined on the flagship, and I want your opinion on this, that they should do a title change on one of these shows or do something really big they should make them feel like they matter. And I quite frankly, I agree. I just don't know 
how they should go about it. And maybe it's the ROH title, but do you want to ruin Claudio's like reign with a, a title change, especially with a company that's only adjacent to AEW and isn't AEW? Like it's, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how these play out because at the very least you're, it's not like you do a loop of like four towns in five days and you're doing the same match in all four towns. This is right. It feels like a spectacle and something that they could very well air when they potentially get a streaming service. Yeah, and it is uh, almost two weeks. It's like 13 days after Revolution, so a lot of those storylines will be finished up, and maybe you could do something with uh, one of the secondary belts, you know, like uh, the the TNT or the TBS. I guess not the TBS. You'll have to put... Jade losing would have to be on TV. You can't do that on a house show. But, like, a TNT title change, like either Smojo retains or... I'm assuming he's going to face Wardlow. Wardlow wins and then uh, loses it on the house show. That could be something they could do. Um, yeah, but I, I do think they need to do something big of some sort, even if it's just an angle to uh, launch or start a major storyline. Um, they can't just they can't just do like a WWE style house show because the, you know. Uh, unfortunately, uh, in this case, but because WWE has been the market leader for so long and hasn't really been challenged since WCW, a lot of do- what WWE does is defines the North American uh, professional, well, the American and Canadian uh, wrestling marketplace. And what that means is that the attitudes they have uh, towards certain things like house shows has become accepted as the norm. You know, th- there's even fans that really are only familiar with how WWE books things and they think that if you aren't doing like 20 minute long promos, you're not advancing storylines. But that's a different discussion. Uh, But I think that the WWE attitude of uh, we do house shows, but we don't even plug them on our nationally broadcast television shows because they're so meaningless. Uh, I think that's just really permeated the wrestling industry. And I think that's something AEW has to overcome. Uh, And it's kind of like with uh, gimmicks, you know, with stipulations and gimmick matches. Uh, AEW has had to kind of work against the grain to make those mean something again. Uh, to, you know, different levels of success. Uh, and I think that's something they're going to face with uh, these uh, house shows as well. Uh, now, what's interesting to me is, you know, it's been like a little over a week, I think, since they announced the first one. And they haven't announced another one. So, you know, that raises some questions. Like, are they counting entirely on how this date, this Troy, Ohio, which is outside Dayton, uh, show does to, like, determine their future, which seems very... I wouldn't do that. <laughs> That's putting a lot of mm-hmm. your eggs in one basket. I think that more data points would be good, and they're rich enough to be able to cover like five, you know, mediocre returns on house shows. Uh, but yeah, it's something to keep an eye on. I think it's very interesting. Um, I just wish we knew more about their plans for it going forward because there's a lot of questions like, how many are they doing, or where are the other ones going to do? Are they going to do one like every week? Are they going to do two every week? And we just don't know that right now. Uh, we don't even have it like an idea. We've got one on the schedule and that's it. So, well, I, I will give them a little bit of a break as far as scheduling out. They only have dynamites and rampages announced through May 3rd, as far yeah. as what you, what you can actually buy on sale. So I, I, I think they're, they're going to try and be a little more strategic. Um, what I found interesting was this house of rules um, is in Troy, Ohio. Mm-hmm. They were just in Dayton last yeah, week. Like, yeah. And I find that location very interesting because you're going to a place that was literally literally just had a dynamite. And it was a pretty big dynamite. You had two tremendous matches on the card, but 
you're going back to the same general area like within a month and a half. I feel like that's a little odd. I, I could understand, hey, we're going to go back to, let's say, Georgia, and we're going to run a house on, show in Savannah. Like, let's just throw that out there. You know, you haven't been to Georgia in a hot minute. You go to Savannah. Okay, you haven't been there in a while. You're going back to a territory. Hey, we can draw a bigger house. Why would you do your first one in Troy, Ohio? The only thing I can think of is that they got a really good deal on the building, and the real draw here is John Moxley, a Cincinnati boy. Yeah, I, I am similarly uh, confused and intrigued by that. Uh, I think I actually talked about that on last week's show, if I recall correctly. But it's been a week, which means it's been you know eighteen years. Uh, but I don't, I don't get it really. Uh, I think it's odd. I think it's kind of risky uh, because that's you know if you ask me what I would have done is I would have tried running, um, you know, in these secondary markets, like, I'm just going to, you know, Racine, Wisconsin. You know, I don't think that they've, have they been, to, they've been to Milwaukee, but they have not been to Racine. And... They've been to Green Bay. I mean, if you're talking about Racine, you're talking about, like, single-A minor league baseball. Yeah. Uh, but, like, if you, if you, like, I've got the list of, you know, United States, uh, metropolitan statistic areas pulled up and like looking at some of the kind of lower level ones, like, I don't know, Montgomery, Alabama or Peoria or Reading, Pennsylvania, like, you know, one of these places. Um, I don't know offhand if they've been to any of those. I apologize if they have. I also don't care. My point being that I would go to a smaller market and try that and see how that goes uh, with the house show and see how like three of those draw at, you know, places of that size. And rather than, we just ran Dayton, so we're going to hit it again. You know, that's kind of, I don't know. It's weird to me. Well, we have seen AEW really burn out of territory. They mm -hmm. uh, I, they had to run Jacksonville. They didn't yeah, really have much different. of a choice. But, like, Chicago. Even so, even so, after they kind of opened things up, they still kind of kept going back to Jacksonville. They did it took it a them forever to go. It took them forever to go to California, you know, uh, and Texas took a long time too. And it was very, Tex I don't well, know. Well, Texas is one of the first spots they went post pandemic because remember they did that three show loop in oh, Texas. That's right. You got me work. there. Yeah. Yeah. Take it, Fred. Ah, oh, um, shit. Well, uh, they, they did kept doubling down in Jacksonville. After oh, that was, uh, oh, that was April. Never mind. I got to yeah. eat shit on that. Um, they, so, but he, here's what I'm trying to say. Like they kept doubling down in Jacksonville and they still kept drawing. And yeah. then you mentioned Chicago. Like part of that is CM Punk. Sure, so yeah. That's that's a little more difficult to kind of judge. But I mean, even but they still like, hit it really hard. They did. And even our colleagues who live there were like, "Man, I, I'd be fine not going to a wrestling show for a hot minute, but I'm still going to yeah. go because it's it's a good wrestling show." And, like, and with like Rich Kreacher, who you know the other guys are like, "I don't know if I can go to another AEW show." Like to me, that's like, "Okay, listen, you guys have hit this really hard. You need to yeah, need to go to fucking Indiana or some shit." <laughs> Come know? back to Minneapolis, please. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's very very intriguing, and like that's a that's a really under discussed aspect of the business is just picking where to go um because that's like if, a whole calculus itself i'd have to imagine if AEW treats this right and they treat house shows as a true part of their canon and they focus on them like hey let's show a clip from a house show match hey let's show the main event of a house show match on dark 
Like if it ends up getting rave reviews, like, oh, we had a title change on that this show. Like, here's one thing I'll pose to you. The TNT title is a TV title. Would you would you change that title on a house show? It's Not a sure. television title. No, I no, mean, well, it's named after a TV station, but I mean, you still throughout the history of wrestling, TV titles have been defended off of TV. But none of them have been named after a television station, and that's kind of why I make this point. Because would TNT be happy about, hey, you changed our title, which we could have popped a rating with on a house show that we get absolutely nothing um, as far as any kind of benefit. And am I extrapolating a little bit too much? Maybe. Let's be honest here. But it's something that we have to consider. And we know that the Warner Brothers Discovery relationship with Tony Khan is pretty strong. And Mm -hmm. we've seen that time and time again. But is that something that TNT would be annoyed about? I think I think we really have to consider that. I can't imagine it. And if it is, that'd be even dumber than like some of the other really stupid stuff Warner Brother Discovery has been doing recently, which is a lot of really stupid stuff. Power slap. So, power slap, Briscoes. Um, we may drop the NBA, which is like just completely, we want to save money, but we have no idea how to make money kind of thing. If they drop the NBA, they're dumb. They do oh, killer business with the NBA. They do. It's, it's such a silly situation to me that they're even... Half the like, time, they're the only thing that airs an NBA game on Thursdays. Yeah. Yeah, and like they just dominate the ratings. You know, not as much as the NFL, of course, but I mean, it's, that's the NFL. That's a different world, but we're getting a little far, you know, from the original discussion here. Um, I think definitely they need to go to Mishawaka, uh, Michigan, which is a city I just learned about. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think we need to that's keep our eyes on name. that. Oh, that's in Indiana. Interesting. Okay. Mishawaka. That's a good we're name. Gonna have to, we're going to have to keep our eyes on this, Fred, because yeah. how this continues to evolve and develop. And I think uh, ticket sales will be huge as far as keeping tabs on this. Tickets, um, I, did they... Did they go on sale? Yes, they have gone on sale. Yes. Uh, I'm very intrigued to see. Do you want me what? to check eight? Um, what is it? Not AEW ticks. God bless it. Uh, Wrestle ticks and see if they have anything on it. Yeah. All right. I'll do that real quick uh, while we're doing that. This was a light week for uh, AEW news. Uh, not much to discuss. Um, and it does not look like WrestleTix has any information on that, so that's a shame. Um, but we last week I wasn't sure if there was a location for the Ring of Honor TV tapings announced, which are on the 25th and 26th of February. Uh, but they have announced that it will be in Orlando, or at least Fightful reported that. Um, and I'm now uh, quickly checking if you can purchase those tickets, uh, which I have to go to a separate site for. Uh, what do you think about the location? That do you have any thoughts on that? Because you may not. That which location? Uh, Orlando for the TV tapings that are supposedly going to happen at the end of the month, and they have not put those tickets up for sale. Well, I'll say this: doing it in Orlando might be the first, might be a good first spot, just because obviously we know that they tape dark down in Orlando, mm-hmm. and there's there's some infrastructure there to at least give like a real baseline. Um, they can make it look good. Odie, Odie is just being all kinds of happy and sleepy. Um, I I think it's a smart move. 
um, because at the very worst, you're going to draw dark levels of fans. And I think that's okay for the first go around. Yeah, it looks pretty decent. Just make it feel major league when you run the tapings. Don't make it feel like a dark. Make it feel big time. If you can do that and be successful with it. If I were Tony Khan, I would run the entire first batch of tapings free on Honor Club and YouTube. Get people invested in it. Give them four weeks to be like, okay, I want to watch this company and then put them behind the paywall until you get that TV deal. Um, I don't know if he's going to do that, but one of the easiest ways to get people to pay for your product is by giving it away for free first and get them hooked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's intriguing. I have to think that they're taping at the uh, Universal Studios. Uh, that's my assumption because that is where they tape dark, if I recall correctly. But yeah, uh, not. And with the, the tickets not being on sale, that kind of, I think you don't have to. I don't think they sell tickets for the dark tapings, if I recall correctly. I think they just do them in the in the park and let people in that way. But maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, uh, but we'll we're gonna keep tabs on a lot of this house show stuff and um, Ring of Honor as well throughout because there's gonna be a lot of news developing with it. But let's continue on um, uh, some more news as well. Um, AW ratings um, rampage. 406,000 overall, um, lowest since um, December 2nd of 22, and back down to 0.11 in the 18 to 49 demo. Last week was 0.14. It was 28th on the night, and by all accounts, um, Turner is very happy with these ratings. It's at the tail end of prime time on a Friday night when a lot of people, especially in that 18 to 49 demo, the younger side of it, they're out partying. They're out with their friends, and I, it'd be nice if you could get some more, um, some better ratings here, but like, I don't really have an issue with it. What's your take? You know, I do kind of wonder if like they've, the, the reason, a major reason at least for their ratings drop over the past, however many months at this point is just because of more people going out and not staying in from the pandemic anymore. Um, that may just be completely unrecoverable. And if that's the case, like this is just what it's going to be, I think. Um, I do think it's fair to criticize this card. Um, yes, you do have an elite titles match, but it's against like a, the firm, which is completely a mid-card act at this point. Um, you know, you have Swerve Strickland against basically a jobber of the stars and Brian Pillman Jr. You have Soraya and Tony Storm against actual jobbers. Um, and then you have Rouge versus Christopher Daniels, and Daniels is another jobber to the stars. So, like, I don't think there's a single, what I consider even, like, for a Rampage, a marquee match on there. So I'm not shocked that they dropped. Um, and I think, like... You know, we t- had a discussion a while ago about how Rampage needs to step up their booking, uh, or the booking for Rampage needs to be stepped up to be have bigger matches, and I think this is a case where they kind of failed at that. Um, yes, the Elite finally worked in Rampage, but I mean, are, are you hyped about a Ethan Page, Matt Hardy, Isaiah Cassidy team in the year of our no. 2023? You know what I'm really hyped for? Ethan Page going on vacation. Like the, the the firm sincerely exists to give Stokely something to do until they give him something better to do. Um, they need to find some kind of up and comer. 
or they need to give Lee Moriarty a push, which I genuinely don't know if he's ready for. I like him. I think he's going to be a very talented wrestler down the line, but I don't know if he's ready for a big push. I, I really feel like they're just trying to tread water until Lee's ready. Yeah, I think so. Um, or until they decide to push Big Bill, I actually think Bill is more likely to be the featured guy, especially if you look at how that uh, Jungle Hook match was uh, put together, where Moriarty took most of the offense and Bill took basically one big bump from Hook where he got an assisted suplex and that was it for him. Um, but yeah, I think the firm is really just mid-card as hell right now and frankly i don't see that changing at least in the next month or so uh, maybe they'll get you know maybe bill or someone will get you know heated up in the next pay-per-view cycle but this ain't it right now so no it's not um this this will be interesting and i i like big bill big bill fun big bill big boy and big boys that can do things in wrestling are awesome um Adam Cole speaks about Kyle O'Reilly's injury, says his recovery is going well. Um, O'Reilly had what we believe to be neck fusion surgery in September, and it has referenced a post-surgical issue of some sort. Look, um, says recovery is going well. I'm going to take that as a net positive. Um, his uh, injury was kind of weird. We didn't really know about it until all of a sudden we heard Kyle O'Reilly has neck surgery. Um Anytime you hear the words neck and surgery together, it is a big red flag and it is scary. So mm -hmm. the fact that everything is going well at this point is a huge blessing and sigh of relief. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we'll get him back on uh, TV in the near future. Yeah. I, I would love to see Kyle Riley back on TV. Um, exclusive AW shirts are now available on Amazon. Fred, you know, I was going to get you one of these for Christmas, but they're $40. I, I don't yeah, know if I can afford them. 40 bucks for these damn t-shirts <laughs> these and like i don't even like none no t-shirt is really worth 40 bucks to me but i don't think any of these are particularly you know inspired to the point of being worth 40 dollars also note to me i think is that uh they're all black <laughs> oh what a shock a wrestling t-shirt i know black. right not not a single one is uh a different color, which is funny. But yeah, they're just, I don't know, they just look like normal wrestling t-shirt designs to me. And, uh, whatever. Yeah. Um, look, I'll, I'll take a look at them and see if there's any worthwhile, but wrestling t-shirts aren't necessarily made with the best material anyways, and then $40, eh. That's a yeah. hell of a lot. Yeah. Um, Paul White had his knee replaced back in August and hopes to be back in the ring in March. If we can get one fun Paul White match a year, I'd be happy with that. Doesn't yeah, that's have to totally fine. Just give me Paul White versus Satnam Singh in some ridiculous bullshit. That would be fun. If every four months we just got Paul White killing QT Marshall, I think that'd just be fantastic. I'd be very happy with that. Or Ooh. fill in the blank with whatever lower card heel, like Ethan Page or you know, uh, the varsity athletes or whoever. Just, you know, Mark Sterling talk, talks a lot of trash and then Paul White comes out and just murders some guys for four minutes. That's fine. Look, that's fun. It doesn't need to be crazy. It just needs no. to be fun. And I, I appreciate that. Um, Christopher Daniels being inducted into the Indie Wrestling Hall of Fame. Um I'll be honest, Fred, I don't know much about the Indie Wrestling Hall of Fame, but Christopher Daniels seems a, like a great candidate. 
Yeah, I think it's some GCW deal that they launched last year, but I mean, that's a pretty good name if you're going to do it. So, absolutely. Um, last thing before we really get deep into the show, it is official. John Moxley will be on Bloodsport Nine with his opponent to be announced. I'm an old pine here. I wonder if he gets Josh Barnett again and he gets the victory this time. That would be interesting. Uh, I understand why he lost to Barnett with Barnett being a legit MMA fighter and all that. But also it was kind of funny that he lost to Barnett just objectively. Um, so I don't know. Uh, kind of seems like Barnett's the perpetual end boss of Bloodsport, you know, which makes sense. But I just wonder if he'll ever actually... Has he ever lost on one of those, I wonder? Now, now I'm curious. I'm going to look that up. Um, obviously, he didn't lose to Mox. And uh, let's see here. Oh, he's in the clusterfuck. Let's get that crap out of here. Bloodsport. Uh, he is 4-0-1 with a time limit draw with Minoru Suzuki back in 2019 in the first Josh Barnett Bloodsport, which was actually the second Bloodsport. Um. And then he beat Chris Dickinson, Moxley, Tiger Ruas, and then Jonah. Um, so there you go. That is quite the That is resume. a collection of names. <laughs> hey, let's beat Tiger Ruas and John Moxley. Yeah. Um, but hey, look, Bloodsport's fun, man. I like Bloodsport. Um, yeah, it's always a fun show. Yeah. All right, Fred, let's talk about this dynamite. Yeah. I thought it was weird. It was... It was mostly great and also weird, I think. It just the tone of it was weird. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of... I'll explain why I thought it was weird as we kind of continued to go through the show. Um, they, it did start off with MJF versus Kanosuke Takeshita. And this is where I really thought the weird started. Um, I did not like the finish. I did not like... I, I thought this match was really getting good. I thought Takeshita should have beaten MJF um, because then you could have just got MJF extra mad considering then later in the night you had Brian Danielson um, win, which we'll talk about. But it just... What, why is Takeshita getting all these matches against big guys and losing? He's going to eventually lose his steam. And I don't like that. I think that they could have they could have done a little mini program with Takeshita. And they chose not to. And to me, that's frustrating. I don't disagree in the meta sense that Takeshita should be winning more matches, but I don't, I wouldn't have had him win this one just because the storyline is MJF against Takeshita. And I think we already saw what happens in AEW if you kind of screw around with the title program storyline close to the pay per view with what happened with the Moxley CM Punk all out buy rate being lower than what one probably should have expected uh, considering the prior buy rates. And you can probably attribute a decent bit of that to the unexpected match and short win, quick win by John Moxley, like two weeks prior on dynamite. Um, I think MGF losing at this point was, would not be the right thing to do. I think he's too early in his title run to do a to take a loss. And I understand why they had, Takeshita be in this position to lose given his connection to Danielson. Um, I just would have had him have another big win before this, or maybe have him get one in the next couple weeks. Yeah. It, maybe I'm just annoyed. Uh, like 
look, I'll let it play out. Tony Khan has earned um, a lot of grace from me considering how he's booked this company. Like, I'll give it time, but man, maybe got to do fantasy. something with this guy. You do. I'm going to fantasy book here. Maybe they'll have him face Roosh since Roosh is semi-aligned with MJF, at least for now. And uh, Takeshita put his nose in MJF's business, so maybe Roosh will get sicked on him. But Listen, I would And, and frankly, that, that would be, yeah, that would be awesome. Um, that would be a fantastic pay-per-view match. But I do think that Takeshita needs to have a clear program heading towards this pay-per-view that ends in him winning. Yes. And he needs to be against someone higher up the card than Brian Cage. Nothing wrong with Brian Cage in my mind. But, you know, like, Takeshita should be beating Brian Cage. He need uh, Kanosuke needs a, like, a, uh, a win to hang your hat on that will clearly show that he's a high-level guy in the AEW roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, but uh, it was noteworthy at the end of the match that uh, after winning with the Salt of the Earth Fujiwara armbar, um, MJF wouldn't let go. And then yeah. Brian Danielson came down for the save. That will come into play later on. Um, AW World Championship Eliminator match. Jamie Hayter came down with Dr. Burt Baker, DMD, and Rebel. And the Bunny came down with Penelope Ford and Kip Sabian. Uh, I got a hot take here. This might have been the best bunny match I've ever seen. She looked like a very competent pro wrestler. I wasn't in, into it that much, but I do think it ended very abruptly, probably because bunny was hurt and hopefully not seriously. But well, I mean, uh, I gave it like three and a quarter. But let, let's be <laughs> honest. Uh, outside of the the one uh, street fight that she had, I think the bunny has been the, the bunny's been a bad pro wrestler in AEW, and like I'll give some of it to Hater, but. I didn't see a lot of sloppiness from Bunny. I didn't see a lot of, hey, what are you doing? Like uh, the the kind of throw of Hater into the steps was a little, okay, maybe that, maybe it's a little sloppy, but it looked really cool. Um, I, I just thought she looked like a competent pro wrestler, and I don't think you can really build off anything from it. But I, I came away thinking this was her best performance I'd, I'd seen from her ever. Hmm. I've always thought she's done really well in her couple of street fights. Uh, I, you know, honestly start a deathmatch division with Penelope Ford and the Bunny as like the tag team stalwarts of it. Um, That'd be fun. But uh, I was interrupted watching this match, so maybe I wasn't like the most attentive I could have, but I thought it was heading towards pretty good and then it got derailed. Um, so I went like one and three quarters on it. Yeah. I, I thought it was good, but then again, what the hell do I know? I'm a football guy. Um, <laughs> all right, so this was interesting, and I'm going to be honest. I kind of, I'm starting to hate it. Renee Paquette was backstage with Tony Storm and Soraya. Uh, Soraya called Leva Bates to them because she's an AEW original. They hit her from behind and spray paint her with green spray paint, and they spray paint a big L. This is turning into the NWO. But they aren't cool, <laughs> so they won't no. be turned face. The, Which the is, only thing cool about this group right now is Tony Storm looks absolutely flawless anytime she's on television. Yeah, I thought this was a goofy segment. I thought, look, Leva Bates seems like a lovely human being. She is not a particularly good professional wrestler. Um, that is me being nice. I thought librarian. she. I thought she looked awful selling here, and all she had to do was take like two bumps tops. Um, I. This feels very 
much like Soraya and Tony look like dork heels, which, okay, fine. Uh, I kind of defended the Tony Storm heel turn at first because I thought that it would give her direction. Um, but you got to be careful not to like make her direction be, I'm a goof now. And, you know, it's something to keep an eye on in my mind. Yeah. Um, like I said, Tony Khan's in a lot of grace. Let's let it play out. Um, Lexi Nair was trying to get a word with AW world champion MJF. This oh god was something. All right, here's so, the next half hour of the podcast. Oh, if yeah, um, yeah, it starts off, uh, you know, pretty nonchalant. MJF talking about how that like Takeshita. He's like Takeshita. Everyone was talking about like you, like you were the next big thing. You were no challenge for a generational talent like me. No one is. Man does not know what he's made of until he meets adversity. Then it got weird. He starts yes. talking about how like going to a school dance when you were in high school. And how he took this uh, pretty girl. Um, I can't remember what name she used. He used, but that really doesn't matter because like was it Liv? Olivia, maybe yeah, something like that. I don't it, know. The name doesn't matter because it doesn't. It's, it's not a real name. It can't be a real name. You're he right. talks about getting roadhead, and or maybe not roadhead, but head. No, it car. was. It was. It was in a car. Yeah, um, it was moving. Like a lot of like high schoolers, like especially in the fifties, you'd t- you'd hear about. <laughs> Um, them going up and parking somewhere and then fooling around. Lover's Lane with the rumble strips. Yep. Um, And then talks about how it's pouring rain and they hydroplane and he accidentally hits the accelerator instead of the brake and they hit a telephone pole going 90. When he comes to, he's tasting copper in his mouth and he he can't understand what's going on. And then he sees uh, the girl who had hit her head in front of, or in the windshield. And he puts his fingers under her nose, makes sure she's breathing. He's like, okay, good. And then he proves that he's a real scumbag. And he says, you know what? I switched places with her. So she had to take the blame for the crash. And he finishes off the promo with, in this life, there are winners and there are losers. Tonight, I expose you, Dragon. You don't have the balls to do what it takes. There will be no Iron Man match on March 5th at Revolution. I am a scumbag, Brian, and I'm damn proud of it. There are some people that are calling this Katie Vick-like. To me, Okay, this is so far from Katie Vick that it, it's it's insane. Look, he's talking about getting head from a completely consenting girl. At least how he's telling the story, like because that that is a very plausible high school story. Like girl, guy, fool around in a car. We talked about it. Very plausible story. How does switching places with her make Katie Vick? That doesn't make any sense to me. I think it's more just like. He did a gross thing with a woman he was dating thing. I thought yeah, this but felt. They're not, they're I, not I don't, even in the same ballpark. I don't care about the Katie Vick thing. That's just a. That's just no, a, it, kind of a silly take. Uh, yeah, but it's hyperbole that people will take seriously, and that's why I mean, it bothers me so much. It's AEW. There's always going to be people that take hyperbole about it seriously. Yes, but these are smart people that are saying it. Smart, smart people. Are they? That's what bothers me. Are they smart? Outside of you know. Eddie Kingston, who is a genius, but <laughs> I'm not joking. I think he's very smart. Um, oh, I'm sure he is, but just the way you said it just got me. Sorry. Uh, I, I Look, one, I would never insult Eddie Kingston because I love him, and two, because he terrifies me. So, that like, I've got enough self-preservation instincts right there, man. Oh, he scares uh, me to death. Yeah. Uh, look, I uh, ignore the Katie uh, 
you know, the Katie Vick thing, because that's going to, that's a whole different discussion for what I want to have, which is, I thought this was really, really weird for an AEW segment. And it felt very, MJF is a mustache twirling villain, which I don't think he is. And also, I don't think I want to watch. I don't think that that's really like a drawing thing to me. You know, what, is he going to tie Brie Bella to, you know, some a railroad track in the near future? I, I, it's goo. You know, it felt very goofy to me to have him like spend what felt like ten minutes on national TV, bragging about um, avoiding a license suspension when he was a teenager, which was like five years ago, uh, by swapping places in a car with his unconscious girlfriend. I, it just, you know, they'd be like, "I'm a scumbag," and like, I don't know it. I don't know that that's that was a successful promo to me, and I don't know that it really felt totally what I would expect from AEW or in general good pro wrestling. Yeah, uh, I did. You like the segment? Yes and no. Um, Okay. Okay. I thought it was. I thought it was well delivered. No, like 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 the the technical aspect of the promo was good. I just thought that the whole direction of it was really weird and not not what I think you would do. Okay, so I kind of liked it, but I still thought they could have done it better. And here's why I really liked it. It was how he tied everything together. And you're talking about, you know that we're going to have a 60-minute Iron Man match. And we know MJF's a scumbag. And the it's to me, it's a literally do-whatever-it-takes aspect. He's doing whatever it takes to stay out of trouble. He's in, in the story of, hey car crash, hits telephone pole, yada, yada, bing, bang. He's literally doing whatever he can and whatever it takes. Now you extrapolate that and now it's a 60-minute Ironman match and we're emphasizing that MJF is a scumbag. He keeps hitting people with the Dynamite Diamond. He did so a couple times tonight. Hits people with low blows. That's how he beat Ricky Starks uh, to retain the belt at Winter is Coming. It's to tie everything together that he really is a scumbag and he can do whatever it takes and really sear that into your brain. Is it the right way to go about it? That I, 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 I can't <laughs> tell you it's the right way, but I can tell you it worked. It got you there. It's seared in your brain that he's going to do literally anything and everything to retain that title when it comes to the 16 minute Iron Man match. And when you're watching it, you're going to be expecting him to be doing something, um, involved with shenanigans and brian danielson is apparently not that guy so watch brian just whack him upside the head with a chair and lose a fall and then he gets two in a row to compensate for it kind of like um what uh brock lesnar kurt angle did in their iron man match back in 2003 smackdown like i can see those things linking together and i think it really really worked from that aspect should they have let MJF talking about getting head from a 17-year-old girl while he was in high school and switching places in a car that had crashed? No, absolutely not. They should have gone about it a different way. But considering what happened, what they talked about, it absolutely worked. And I don't think there's any way you can say it didn't. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I don't have particularly strong takes on if it worked or not, I guess. Uh, I mean, it didn't feel like it was ruining his momentum or anything, but at the same time, it just felt really weird. And I'd rather he be doing something related to wrestling to show he's a scumbag. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's plenty of ways to do that, like make a bigger deal out of holding on to the salt of the earth to mess up 
Takeshita's arm, you know, and have that directly play into Danielson selling his arm. Have MJF just be mean to some jobber, like just have him bully Fuego del Sol or something for no real bit of reason. I, I just yeah. would have rather done that than like, here's, you know, it, it felt it was almost like the promo equivalent of like, you know, Paul White hanging on to his father's coffin, you know. It just felt really weird, and I don't know. This wasn't what I was looking for, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I'm not going to fight that, but I th- I still think it ended up working, but we can move on because I just I don't think there's really much more we can hash out with it. Um, but we will, talk, we will loop back in here when we talk about Roosh and Brian Danielson here in a little bit. The next, we had absolute Ricky Starks in the Garcia Guevara gauntlet. Which, I'll be honest, I did not know that Jericho was going to be the final leg of the gauntlet. I thought this was to get a match of Revolution. I thought so, so that too. That part surprised me a little bit. I thought they could have been more clear. Yeah, that's um, the second also, time on this on this show that I think there was something like that. And I'll, I'll wait to discuss that further with you. Yeah. Um, but but I, I, I thought this was, this was oddly... Twice on this show. Okay, the other one, I'll, I'll go ahead and bring it up here, is that... I didn't realize, and maybe it was because like I was at the live show two weeks ago and that threw off my perception of what's going on and all this crap. But like I I didn't realize that the Roosh match was the last leg of Danielson's run for the title match. And not knowing that, like I, I, I thought they yeah, you know, it wasn't until like halfway through the match that like I realized it. And maybe that's on me. Maybe I was being a bad viewer. Maybe I, I missed some information I should have got but like it wasn't until the match itself that i got like it it clicked for me that i understood it because they literally said it on commentary and and to me like they should have built that that aspect of it up much bigger yeah i i'll be honest i didn't realize it was going to be like that either and one of the reasons i didn't realize that is one i don't remember them telling me which apparently that's incorrect which if that is true i'll take the l there but two yeah let's take a look at his other gauntlets the trials of Jericho, um, the Cody stuff. Mm-hmm. They, they went until literally the week before the pay-per-view. Like, and because they went to Dynamite right before they had the pay-per-view match, okay. Now, th- there's an expectation. You have a trend. You have a, an established like timeline of what's going to happen. And then it just was different. And I, I think that's why I was so surprised. And if I was just dumb and miss things, then just call me a dumbass. That's fine. Um, but I don't remember hearing them say it was going to be five matches. I don't remember hearing them say it was only going to be five. It was going to end on the eighth. Nothing. Nothing. I don't, along I don't recall that either. And, and again, maybe I'm just a very dumb fan, which I look, I won't say is impossible, but it, it didn't hit for me that that was the case in either situation. Welcome to the good, the bad, and the dumb podcast on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Featuring the dumb, Fred Moreland. Yeah. um, I also thought that it was weird. I didn't realize they had billed this as um, this championship night either. Uh, I I didn't either. Well, I think I remember that from last week a little bit, but still. Well, we can blame Mobile for that, for me at least. Um, You you have nothing. Um, Let's talk about this match. I'm not that smart. (laughs) Um, Angelo Parker and Matt Menard came to the ring first. Angelo gouged Starks in the eyes and Starks gets a spear. Then Matt Menard comes in. He ducks a sucker punch, rolls him up and pins him. So within a minute and a half, he had already gone through the first two legs, which to me tells me, okay, 
he's probably going to face Jericho tonight. Like, this is how you kind of accomplish that. You have 2.0, who I think they could build up and be a really good tag team, but they're used as a joke act, and I think some of that has to do with Matt Menard's injury. Well, this is a good way to work around that. Garcia was out next. Um, they tried some distractions from Guevara. Uh, they really pumped it. There's a lot riding on this for Ricky Starks because obviously he wants to face Jericho. Um, at, on the outside, Starks spears Garcia, a fan in a mask in the front row, blasted Starks with the Judas effect, and we all know what's coming. Garcia throws him back into the ring. One, two, three. Jericho comes out on masks. Yada, yada, bing, bang. Now, here's my question. I... I feel like this is going to end in a match at Revolution. But I'm really curious how we're going to get there. What is going to happen over the next few Dynamites to help us progress the story? I, you know, that's a good question. And I I don't know. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of time left. You know, and Jericho could start cutting a promo about how, you know, he got, he's done dealing with Ricky Starks and then Ricky Starks comes back out and antagonizes him into another match or some opportunity or something of the sort. Um, but you know, it's, they, they have paths to it. It's not like that the door is completely closed on. It's just because Jericho says it is, you know, in wrestling, a, a heel saying they will not wrestle a match typically leads to them wrestling that match. Um, but it'll be interesting to watch. Um, you know, there's a lot, a lot of paths available to them and, uh, we'll see which ones they take. Yeah. Do, do you think that do you think the gauntlet storyline fit into uh, what they what they're doing, uh, like AEW as a promotion? I have no problem with the gauntlet storylines. I just think they're doing that. Gen. This is starting to become a trope, and it's starting to become something that I think Tony Khan leans on a little too much. Now, if only MJF did it, I don't think I'd complain at all because that's just an MJF thing. You're like, no. If you want this, I'm a scumbag. You're going to do this, 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 and this. Like, okay, makes sense. It's It makes sense in canon. Um, every Now it's expanding elsewhere. Like, I, th- I think you need to try and find something else. And I think this just may be going back to the wall a little too much. Um, but I did like that, unlike the MJF stuff, this was an actual gauntlet match. This was, you're going to face multiple guys in the same night. So I guess i'm talking myself into it a little bit because you're not just having consecutive weeks of matches um so you can face me at a pay-per-view no you are going to actually go through a real gauntlet match and i think that part is kind of cool i would like to see i would like to see that again but i don't think we need it right away i think we can wait a little bit and let's let's try and figure out another trope to use yeah, I do think that they've been using that trope a lot. The the heel sets up stuff in the you know in the path of the face, which I mean that's a that's an old time storyline that goes back decades, obviously. But like I do think they've they've been hitting that a fair bit, and maybe maybe we'll have an MGF cycle uh, without him doing that because I think that will help free it up for other people. Um, I, I think doing it at the same time with Jericho is a, a bit repetitive, but I don't think it's like a disaster or anything at the same time. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited to see kind of what happens. Um, but we'll see. Um, Renee Paquette interviewed daddy ass and the EW tag team champions of the acclaimed backstage. Billy said he decided for their match tonight. He was going to stay in the back and stay out of the match. And it was a team decision. Well, didn't end up turning out that way, but it was for reasons outside of um, 
of what their agreement was. We'll talk about that as we get there. Um, this I thought was really well done. Renee Paquette is interviewing Brian Danielson to cash in the trainer's room. And this is why I love this company so much. You had to cash to just get his ass absolutely beat. He's bleeding gushers. He's his arm is just in disarray and Danielson goes out to save him. So Danielson's in the trainer's room with Takeshita when MJF locks him in while Rene Paquette's talking to him and Roosh does his entrance, which he's El Toro Blanco. He's got a mask of gold and black, which I thought was very weird, but whatever. It's fine. Um, yeah. MJF comes out where it's supposed to be Danielson and yells at Aubrey, you know, very mean things to yell and start the, like start the count and, Aubrey just deliberately counts slow just to piss him off. And then Danielson ends up coming out. I thought this aspect was incredibly well done. It linked to the story at the beginning of the match. They planted seeds and they delivered on them later. And it's, I, and MJF just continues to show he's a cowardly shitbag. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. I like this too. I like this a lot. I do think that AEW gets a little repetitive with, you know, their backstage segments, which are almost always either a pre-tape or a guy doing an interview that gets interrupted or a, I'm glad we've agreed to no physicality. Like they're, they're very, it's a close, it's a limited number of things. Like occasionally you'll get a backstage brawl. Um, I'm not asking for like, please recreate the Booker T Steve Austin supermarket brawl every three weeks or something, but I do think you need a little more creativity, a little more variation at times. And I think this was a nice change of pace. Um, And I did like this aspect of it. Yeah, I I thought it was good. And you know what I thought was even better, Fred? I thought this, this might've been the best non plunder Roosh match of all time. This was phenomenal. This was fantastic. Loved this, this, uh, spoiler alert, this is now my new number one match in our running Dynamite Dozen. I, I need loved, to update that. Loved, loved this match. It was physical, hard-hitting, high-impact, like great action. The finish was awesome. Uh, they, uh, Roosh kicked out of the double knee, um, or sorry, the running knee, and then he ended up hitting it just out of the blue. Just This was throughout excellent. And you know what? We had some concerns with Roosh coming into this company. He is delivering really good matches. He is, to our knowledge, not whining and complaining about losing. And let's push this guy. Like, Yeah, this was a fantastic, him. fantastic performance. Um, and I think... Uh... I, I think that he... on. Do you think he did a Freaky Friday with Andrade? Do you think they like got zapped by magic and got each other's personality, and that's why Andrade is such a troublemaker? And now uh, Roosh is uh, happy to be there. I just want to put that uh, scenario out there that we had ourselves a, a Lucha Libre Freaky Friday. Who's Lindsay Lohan? Who's Jamie Lee Curtis? Well, that's a good one. I've got to assume Roosh is. Uh, well, originally was Jamie Lee Curtis. I guess he still would be, and uh, Andrade was uh, Lindsay Lohan. I am not explaining this take at all. Yeah, this was like it was awesome. Roosh, they, they, this was a great match. This was a fantastic, absolute. They, they beat the piss out of each other. Danielson oh, led buckets, um, but it was it was phenomenal. Uh, like I couldn't tell you any one specific spot because they just beat the crap out of each other. 
Roosh hit that that running knee strike into the corner. Um, Danielson got two of the psycho knees. It had the LaBelle lock. Oh, I gave it four and three quarters. I almost slapped a five on this sucker. I loved it. Yeah, I also went, oh, wow, hello. I went uh, four and three quarters on it as well. I uh, nearly went five on it. Yeah, I thought about it, but if I have to think about it, then it's not a five, I think. Uh, yeah, like, God bless. They just beat the hell out of each other. Brian Danielson's chest by the end of it was just, like, hamburger. Like, these guys, they need to wrestle again because this was a fantastic matchup and just so much fun. Yeah, um, please, more Roosh. More Roosh, more Roosh, more Roosh. AW World Trios Championship match. The Elites defeated Top Flight plus AR Fox. Let's just be honest. He is basically a part of Top Flight and Canon now. Um, look, this was fun. I think that they they could have... They have a better match in them. Let's put it that way. I thought this was a really nice showcase for Dante. Um, I saw him doing a bunch of, like, not flippy-do stuff, but just jumpy, super, like, high-upside athlete stuff. That was phenomenal. Um, and then they, uh, Kenny Omega, um, ends up, uh, um, rolling up AR Fox with a crucifix. And I thought this was really, really nice. It was just a really good TV match. Gave it three and three quarters, but nothing really stood out to me. Really? I love this match. I thought it was just a per- perfect presentation of what these six men can do. Um, and I thought they worked fantastic to grip together. Uh, I went four and a half stars on it, uh, which was my second highest match of the Whoa. night. Over. Yeah, over uh, over Takeshita, four and a quarter. Um, I like this a lot. Um, I just, you know, I thought they were all working really well. I liked the structure of the match. I thought that the closing stretch was really impressive. Um, I was a big fan of this. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not with you, but look, it. it I don't blame you. Um, these guys are all fun. Um, this is right afterwards is where Lexi Nair interviewed Stokely Hathaway. Hathaway said he had a problem with Hook. He was talking mad shit. Hook comes up to him, basically grabs his arm, which is what we talked about at the beginning of the show, um, where he heard it. Um, we're going to get Stokely being over-exaggerated on commentary. Wouldn't be shocked if we see a little smart Mark Sterling action as well. But let's move on to the main event. The acclaimed Anthony Bones and Max Caster uh, versus the Guns, Austin and Colton. I thought this was a really shitbag match. I was not into this very much at all. Like, it was technically fine, but, like, I, I you know, I try to take notes on what I'm watching, uh, especially for AW, um, while I watch it. And my whole pre-commercial break notes for this, which was a pretty long period, it was like half the match, and this was not a short match, just said, acclaimed have control early. I just didn't have anything else to note. And I thought that the finish was just over, you know, I I get it, but there is a difference between having a match that makes your heels look like threats, even if they're chicken shits and a different and a match that just has the heels win when the fans don't want them to. And I think this like, and are not interested in having them as, a team, and I think this was the second case. I think it was just not the right move. I don't know why they felt obliged to do this title switch here. Maybe they have some plan with like FTR coming back real quick to to beat them, or the acclaim getting a quick rematch and getting a big win. But I thought that the I thought well, first of all, for quality purposes, this was just mess hell. 
I went two and a half, and I, I'm starting to think as I talk about it that I was being too generous. Um, and, and as far as booking, like I don't know why they felt the need to get the belts off the acclaimed here. I don't think that I, I think it was too early for the guns. I do think the guns have been showing signs of improvement, especially with their personality. But as workers, they're very they're not made of it level to me. And when it comes to the acclaimed, like they have improved dramatically in the ring. They're over as hell. They're one of your most charismatic acts. And I think this was just the wrong move at this point in time. Yeah. And if you, uh, if you wanted to put the belts on FTR, just hell, just set it up where FTR faces them at the pay-per-view and FTR wins. I I don't get, get involving the gun club at all. I've noticed that Tony has been doing some flippy do stuff with the tag belts. He caught, he, he did it with the trios belts, but that was, that was also a, a completely different scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The TNT title, just flippy dude from Samoa Joe to Darby back to Samoa Joe. Um, I feel like he may be doing the same thing with the tag belts. He may be giving them right back to the acclaimed um, Dax Harwood. Um, good. Our good friend FTR bald did tweet out that man, I miss professional wrestling. Um, right after that match and we know that the guns ended up beating ftr they kind of have a little rivalry going um, it would make sense for them to get the revolution match but at the same time dax also said that tony has given them um, months off um, whether that that i don't think it's just going to be two months i think it's going to be multiple but you never know professional wrestlers are the world's biggest liars and mm-hmm. professional that liars in, even yeah, I say that both in a loving and derogatory way. It's all of it, every little bit. Um, I didn't like that the acclaimed lost the match. I don't think that they should have lost the tag team titles. But if the guns were going to win them, this is how they should have won them: being shit bags because they're not that good. They are not a high established tag team. They are not very talented in comparison to the rest of the division. They are a lower to mid card act. And I don't see them getting elevated in a similar way to what the acclaimed were. The acclaimed became a very organic story. They got over with the crowd because of Max casters, raps, Anthony Bowens, um, just incredible charisma. And then obviously scissoring with daddy ass. Like that was an incredibly organic rise. The guns just feels like they're there because their dad was Mr. Ass in WWE. Like they're completely competent pro wrestlers, but there's something special about them, except their last name is Gun. Like, I what? think they, I, I think they are showing signs of improving charisma. I, I like that aspect of them. I think they're doing better when it comes to that. That being said, they are still very much a like on a good night we'll have a three star match team right now. And, you know, where AEW is right now as a as a promotion that highly values work rate, uh, that's not going to cut it uh, for a long title reign. So either they've got to be like, you know, like top level, you know, personality wise heels. And I don't see that in them right now. Maybe one day, but I don't see it right now. Um, or this, I mean, it's just got to be a short transition thing, which is its own separate deal. I don't even get why they did it in the first place, though. And I know I've said that already, but it's just the kind of thing that it feels like such a own goal to, like, force this change, this move when the crowd, when, when the acclaimed are super hot, they're loved by everyone. They're like, you could argue their most over babyface act. 
uh, in the entire company, and it just didn't feel right. But at least they didn't turn uh, Billy Gunn because I thought they were going to do that, and that would have been even worse. I think that would have been a, a proper disaster because I think he really d- is an important part of the acclaimed sack right now. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess at least he didn't completely screw it up. I, I, I we, you've talked about giving uh, giving Tony the benefit of the doubt before, like on this show. Uh, and I think that's very fair, but I do think this was a clear misstep, um, which I guess we'll see where where it goes from here. Yeah, I think it was a misstep too, but I reserved to change my mind with new information. Um, I mean, if they if they turn it into a gold, you know, uh, all time great storyline in the next month or something, that's fine. That's a different situation. But like, I just think like going down this path at all is not the right move. But you know, that's just my take. Yeah, um, I don't I don't disagree overall. Like, I think that's. The, the tone of this dynamite to me was good, but weird. And I think we talked about a lot of the weird. It's just, it was weird. Uh, there was, in fact, I don't even know that we talked about the weirdest segment on the show. Um, you know, it's, it's either the MGF promo or this one where they had the two incredible jokers guys backstage. Oh, talking I, to Tony I, Schiavone about how they, they, they're stealing Floyd and, Chris Jericho is supposed to be on their show to get it back, and this sucked. <laughs> corporate synergy, baby. Like I mean, it, you know, sure, co- corporate synergy, but like, my God, entertain me with it, which these uh, professional comedians did not do. <laughs> this was a total flop to me, like just uh, atrocious. Yeah, segment. just kind of is what it is. Um, but yeah, that Fred. That was dynamite. Um, it was overall a an interesting show. Yeah, it was some really great stuff on it. Some kind of weird stuff and a short all time. Really, I think it's like I think the impractical jokers thing was like borderline all time bad. Like one of the worst AEW segments ever. It was short. It didn't really derail anything, but it was like three minutes of just like what the hell is going on? Yeah, pretty much. Um, Any yeah. big thoughts on last rampage that you want to go through real quick? Um, I'll be honest, um, because of me having to get back and catch up on all my work stuff. Wow, that windstorm is gnarly. It is. It's a hell of a thing right now. I'll be honest, I didn't watch Rampage. Um, it, well, you didn't miss too terribly much. Uh, well, that's good. Yeah. If, if you were to watch anything, I would say watch the Elite match. It is not a top-level elite match, but I went three and three-quarters on it. It was still pretty good. Um, I do enjoy some of the Ethan Page, Matt Hardy stuff, um, but otherwise, like, you know, and the work was solid, but it was otherwise, like, a a good but not disappointing elite match, especially coming off the best of seven. Yeah, it's it's fine. Like I'll, I'll see if I can get to it, but um, I don't know if I will um, just because um, it's NFL draft scouting. And I, I am finally about to go off of cornerbacks. I've watched, I'm finishing up my 12th right now. I'm done watching corners. I'm going to linebacker. So we'll see. What do you find? What do you find the hardest uh, position to scout? That's a good question. Um, it's quarterback. Quarterback. Um, yeah, because there's so much nuance. There's so many variables. It's like 
trying to find a great quarterback is like you have an algebra problem with eight different variables and you need to find each one. It, yeah. The answer can be found, but it's like goodwill hunting, like the, pro- the problem on the board. And you have to be able to figure out what the answer to that problem is. Um, you can figure out a bunch of them and then you just deal with the fact that you don't know what the other two are and you're just trying to continue to solve and solve and solve. Um, and that's Kirk Cousins. Um, <laughs> but it's incredibly difficult. Even the best evaluators still stink at it. Nobody's good at scouting quarterbacks because yeah. so many of them miss when they feel like sure things. And when you do hit with one, like you just got, you know, you're set for the next 15 years and there's no real risk, you know, as a GM at least, and there's no real risk about like, oh, I have to draft a new one, typically speaking, at least for several well, years. Well, that's not true. You should always be drafting quarterbacks. But once you have like your entrenched guy, draft yeah. him late. Because you right. never know when that guy's going to go kablooey. Uh, you never yeah, know it, but like as long as you have them, if you you know if you draft someone in like the sixth round and they aren't a success, no one's going to be calling for your head. They'll just be like, "Hey, I wasn't the guy in the sixth round. What can you do?" I would have expected. Yeah. I would have. What about offensive line? Because I would think that would be kind of hard to scout. Um, offensive line sometimes can actually be relatively easy and simple. Okay, because yeah, with all twenty-two, you get the the it's basically the TV view, but they go up so you can see and zoom out. So you see the full field and then you get the view of the trenches. So it's either the offensive lineman's back or the defensive lineman's back. And you can see a lot and you can get a real sense of what they're doing and what they are. And you see how they win, how they lose. Are they utilizing hand placement? How are their feet? Um, Are they athletic enough to be able to keep up with some of the speed rushers? Are they strong enough to keep up with the interior guys? There's, you can see all of that. And I feel like offensive linemen most of the time are easier to hit on than anything else because everything that you're asking them to do in the college level, you're going to be asking them to do in the pro level. Okay. And strength will translate. Athleticism will translate there. But if you don't have strength, you're probably not going to gain it once you get to the NFL. Like that's kind of the weird thing. Mm-hmm. Um, linebacker can be difficult too. Um, that's just a personal thing. Um, it's because they're being asked to do so many different things. They're in the front seven and the back seven. You're asking them to do coverage. You're asking them to read the run. You're asking them to read play action correctly. And when you combine all that, it can be a little difficult. It can be challenging, but I'm actually going to do linebacker next. Um, the Vikings are probably going to need an inside linebacker or two, um, especially if they move on from Kendricks to Jordan Hicks. So we'll see. All right. Are you going to do like an NFL draft intelligentsia on the, uh, the voices of the flagship? Patreon, I should say. If Joe wants to, absolutely, I will do one. Um, I can also do one from a betting perspective, too, because there will be a lot of prop bets, um, an understanding of things. I, I know the college football intelligentsia shows we were able to do were, were became pretty popular, which is really cool. But I'm, uh, yeah, if Joe wants to, I'm all in. Um, I'm more than happy to do all that. All my scouting reports you can find on Vikings Wire. Um, Basically, all you have to do is uh, search Vikings wire and a player's name, and you should be able to find it pretty easily. Um, I've only done wide receiver in the corners so far, though, so that's something to keep in mind. Uh, linebackers, I'm going to start this week. Uh, probably with Texas's DeMarvian Overshone. He's a guy that a lot of people have really liked. 
I will pretend to know who that is. Um, well, let's wrap up the show because I don't have much else to say about AEW. It's a pretty quiet week other than uh, Dynamite itself. Um, yeah. But we do have uh, basically the entire Rampage card laid out, I think. We've got a Blackpool mm-hmm. Combat Club against Kip Sabian and the Butcher and the Blade. We got a Jack Perry featured in action, which means squash match. Ruby Soho against Jamie Hayter. And uh, we have Mark Briscoe will be doing a promo, which will be very interesting for several reasons. Uh, hopefully we'll get him featured more going forward. I do think they'll have probably another match on there, I assume, but I don't think they've announced it yet. And absolutely nothing announced for next Dynamite. So not much we can do. Yeah. Um, I, I No, I would agree completely. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Good, bad, hungry. You can find us on the Voice Wrestling Discord. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at the Real Forno and at the Vikings Wire. You can find Fred on Twitter at Flagrant Wrestling. That is R like Ted Turner and not W like Vince McMahon. Um, listen, if you have any questions for us, please feel free to contact us. You can also contact us at hungrypot at gmail.com. Um, please like and subscribe. Uh, to the podcast. If you're listening on the Voice of Wrestling podcast feed, please follow our solo feed and subscribe there. It'll help us grow the podcast and help everybody see what kind of awesome show we are. Uh, last check, we were down to number four in Turkey. So if you are listening in Turkey, please like, subscribe, and share so we can become number one again. Um, that is our goal. We want to be number one in a couple of countries. That would be really, really freaking cool to be able to put all over everywhere because we were number one. Like just like Smitty Werbin Jaegerman Jensen from SpongeBob, I want to be that guy. <laughs> he was number one. Um, but uh, yeah, please do all the fun things. Um, if you at, um, if you give us a five star review and you write anything in the comments, um, please ask us a question. We'll answer those on air as well. Um, in the meantime, I, that is the show today. A, li- a little bit of an abbreviated one because there just there wasn't a whole lot to talk about, which really. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. But until then, I'm Tyler. This is Fred. Take care. Skull Vikings. Have a good one. Hey, kids, do you like wrestling? Well, we like wrestling, too. We are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Myself and Chris Novembrino kind of doing a lazy river of wrestling criticism, going through the news and whatever happened in stateside television wrestling. And also, you know what? Sometimes... We just like to watch old stuff and talk about that, too. Love for you to give us a listen. If you haven't already, we are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network.